0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Not Defined by Endo Podcast with your host and endometriosis warrior, Tenyala Oguru. Created for and dedicated to women who have been diagnosed with endometriosis or who suffer from symptoms that they suspect to be caused by endometriosis. I myself was diagnosed with endometriosis in early 2018. It has been a tremendous journey toward fighting for my health taking back control of my life and helping and supporting women whose lives have been completely altered by this extremely painful disease i know firsthand how lonely it can feel right after diagnosis and i am determined to be the voice you need to remind you that you are not alone endometriosis is a disease that doesn't have a cure yet but with a holistic multifaceted approach which includes medical management, diet and lifestyle changes, stress management, hormonal balancing, therapy, Chinese medicine, natural products and exercise, it is possible to live a fulfilling life and fight endo. With this podcast, my intention is to share what I have learned and I'm still learning on my journey. Invite health professionals and endo specialists to provide their much needed insight and speak to fellow endometriosis warriors who will be sharing their own individual experiences. At the end of each episode, I will provide a summary on what we have learned, important takeaways and any other valuable information about our guests on the show. I will also put all the information in the show notes. So come on this journey with me, will you? Let's learn to fight endo and live well in spite of it. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for a weekly dose on everything endo. If you want to know more on Stay Connected, you can visit our website www.notdefinedbyendo.com for up-to-date information on endometriosis, its symptoms and tools to help with management of the disease. Also follow us on Instagram at notdefinedbyendo Facebook at Not Defined by Endo support group, and on Health Unlocked, www.healthunlocked.com forward slash not defined by endo. All of this information can be found in the show notes. If you find this podcast inspiring, please share with your friends and family. Let's spread the word and inspire and empower women all over the world. Please note that I'm not a medical professional a pelvic health specialist, or a nutritionist. So whatever I share on this podcast is to raise awareness and inspire. Please always speak to your medical professional before making any major changes to your diet or lifestyle. With that said, let's get right to it. Today's episode is an interview with the amazing Nicole Cousine, who I'm honored to have met on Instagram. Nicole is a physical therapist with a doctorate in physical therapy and with a specialization in pelvic physical therapy. She has a private practice called Pelvic Sanity in Orange County, California. Nicole and her team treat women and men with any sort of pelvic concerns such as pelvic pain, sexual dysfunction, urinary and bowel conditions, and pre- and postnatal issues. I had been following Pelvic Sanity's Instagram page for a few weeks and I found myself loving the posts, learning something every time and actually looking for the profile just to check if any new content had been posted. Yes, it was that engaging. She not only posts about pelvic pain, but also has a mini-series about endometriosis and understanding the pain. Nicole also has a book, The Interstitial Cystitis Solution, a book that teaches how to heal from bladder and pelvic floor dysfunction. This can be found on Amazon and I will put the link in the show notes. With endometriosis, there is a lot of learning that needs to be done and our pelvic health is so important if we are going to learn to live well and beat endo. This is why I decided to reach out to Nicole for an interview. And I'm so excited that she said yes. So let's welcome Nicole as she shares her profound knowledge on everything to do with our pelvic health and the parts Endo plays. Hi, Nicole. I'm so glad to have you here today. And I'm so excited because I feel like I'm going to learn a lot from you and our listeners will learn a lot as well. And um, I think we should just jump right to it and start, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. So I think I'll start with the first question, which is I want to just know more about you and what led you onto this path of pelvic health medicine.
1: Yes, so I my name is Nicole Cozine. Um, I'm a physical therapist with a doctorate in physical therapy, and then I went on to get a specialization in pelvic physical therapy um, or pelvic physio, I think you guys call it, And so, yeah. So I graduated in 2006 from a university out here called Chapman University. That's where I went to physical therapy school, and then I went uh, to undergraduate school at University of California, San Diego with a degree in neuroscience and physiology. Um, And so, physical therapy was always my passion and always my path, but pelvic health was definitely not on my radar um, at all. I actually had a specific anatomy project that was assigned to me in PT school that had to do with the pelvis. And so, right. So then it sort of was on my radar, but at that time it was kind of like, oh yeah, those pelvic PTs, they're kind of weird and they do (laughs) internal stuff. And like, I was like, yeah, whatever. I still wanted to do sports and orthopedics. Um, and you know, life always takes interesting turns, but I started a, um, I started working at a hospital based setting here in outpatient orthopedics and the people that my bosses were always giving me the, um, the, like nudge, like, Hey, I th- I know you wanted to, to do something in pelvic. And I was like, no, actually I don't like that was just on my resume to get hired. Right. <laughs> uh, but then they bribed me essentially with continuing education courses and a lot and, and the ability to create a whole program from the ground up at this hospital. So I did it with the, with the assumption that I was going to do it for a year and then be done with it. And I tell this one story a lot because this, to me, there was a day that clicked in my brain that I was like, I am meant to do pelvic health. Um, I was treating both at the same time, half pelvic and half orthopedics. And I had this kid come in one day and he was about 17 years old and he had hurt his ankle and he was skateboarding and he was, he was very clear to me at that time that he was going to get better no matter what I did. He was resilient. He was young. He was not going to listen to anybody. He wasn't doing the exercises and he was still doing fine. And then the next patient that I had was a person who I'd only seen for about four months and she had had vaginismus, which is a, a tightening of the pelvic floor, like pretty severely, that, and she was unable to have sex and she had been married for five years and they had never been able to consummate their marriage. And we got them to be able to have sex. And eventually we able to get, we able, we were able to get them to have pain-free sex. And she was like crying. Her husband was super happy. And then that, at that moment, right after that, that kid, I was like, God, this is this is what I need to do. This is like so much more impactful to that to people's lives than that because when there's something wrong with that area or something painful with the down there, then you know it's it's it sends off more alarm bells for us and it's a bigger. Frankly, I think it's a bigger deal than if your toe hurts or your ankle's hurting, you know. Um, And so that's and then from then on, I never looked back. I was just pelvic health all the way. Wow that's fate isn't it Yeah no <laughs> kidding that's, Yeah that's
0: amazing I think you made a point about um you know wanting to do something impactful and I think that's amazing cuz women go through a lot you know we go through a lot of pain and you know, sometimes it feels like we're not listening to people. Yeah. So I think Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, just it's in your head or just get on with it. And, um, I think it's amazing what you're doing. Um, and I'm glad because I feel like I know absolutely nothing about pelvic health, even though I'm always in pain. So I think, right. yes. Yeah, so so think it can
1: be a big part of everybody's like healing yeah. journey. And um, I think it's an overlooked area because a lot of, and frankly, just a lot of physicians don't know exactly what we do. They're starting now, urologists, urogynecologists, OBGYNs are finally starting to like be like, oh, pelvic floor physical therapy or pelvic physio, yeah, yeah, go there. But they don't actually know what we do a lot of the times. And um, so a lot of times it's left up to you guys as patients to uh, be advocates, and then you then have to find the right fit for you in a pelvic physio. Um, And that in and of itself is hard. So then you have like another area where it's kind of difficult sometimes to find the right fit, to find the right experience level and expertise. Um, because one of the other things about our field of pelvic physio, and this is globally, is that women's health physio is is a big field, but there's a big difference between an expert in postpartum health and pelvic pain. And so um, a lot of times like people will go and search for a pelvic physio and be like, oh, awesome, and that person might be amazing, but their area of expertise might be Stress incontinence, um, prolapse, getting your body back after a baby—that kind of stuff—and that can be very different than than guiding somebody for a long period of time that's going through a pretty significant uh, pelvic pain journey. Um, so, I definitely want to make that distinction, and that's, that's a question that, if for you and your listeners, if you're searching for a pelvic. Physio, that you, those are good questions to ask. Do you have experience or extensive experience treating people with pelvic pain conditions like endometriosis, like interstitial cystitis? Because if they say, oh, yeah, a little bit, that's different than someone at my practice would say, yeah, about 75% of our patients have some sort of pelvic pain going on. So, okay. So basically we should not just think, because one of the questions I was actually going to ask was about childbirth
0: and postpartum and pelvic floor dysfunction. And I think it's good to know that there's the distinction between people that focus on just that and people focusing on the actual your entire pelvic health and pelvic pain.
1: Right. And I mean, to be clear too, you can still have a, an excellent person at both, right? Like we feel like our clinic is, is great at both, but we have pretty specific therapists within our clinic that more gravitate towards the postpartum care. And then myself and another couple of therapists also gravitate more towards pelvic pain. Mm-hmm. And we make sure we try to fit the patient with, with what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, but to answer your question, you know, um, pregnancy and postpartum issues are are interesting, especially if you have a, a pre-existing sort of pelvic pain condition on top of that, right? So, and that's where um, it's not inevitable that a pregnancy will make it worse, but it can definitely complicate things a little bit. Um, and Let's talk about just completely ignore for a second pelvic pain stuff. Pregnancy, in and of itself, and childbirth um, is really tough on that region for a lot of for a lot of um, reasons. So it's not like everybody that has a baby has pelvic floor dysfunction, but it's one of those things that I think it's way more common than people think. Yeah. And we, as a medical community, have brushed it off so long that it sort of makes the the mom feel like, oh, well, having a little bit of incontinence or prolapse after a baby is just what I have to deal with because instead of the flip argument is that you can actually do quite a bit about um, healing and restoring the normal health of those pelvic floor muscles. So. Yeah. So, and then if you also have a pelvic pain condition that preceded your pregnancy, then your pelvic floor, um, and pelvic region was already under a little bit of tension, stress. Um, you know, I I like, I use the word dysfunctional, but not with like a negative connotation, just like not functioning optimally. Um, you know, and so then, and then it also, it's almost like having a little bit of a, of like a ankle sprain and you're trying to run a marathon. It's like, it might be fine if you're going to run like a 5k, but then if you're going to if you're gonna try to do a whole marathon, then we're going to have some issues, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, but either way it's, it's important, I think, to get a, a true musculoskeletal evaluation done of your pelvic floor. Because your OBGYN, postpartum or otherwise, isn't always looking at the muscles, the nerves, the fascia of the pelvic floor. We can go into a little bit about what the pelvic floor actually is. Um,
0: You have preceded my next question. Perfect.
1: (laughs) What exactly is a pelvic floor? I'd love to know. (laughs) Yeah. So most people think of the pelvic floor, if you don't know anything about it, most people just think of it as the Kegel muscle, right? So you've been told like that's how you contract your muscles, that's how you stop the flow of urine. Everybody kind of thinks of it as only that, but if you broaden the terminology out a little bit to um, of, of the quote pelvic floor as being more of like any muscle, nerve, ligament, tendon, fascia organ that in that is involved within the pelvic girdle that now broadens your broadens your sort of awareness around other things that it can be so it's not just quote unquote the kegel muscle yeah. but it's also a lot of things that that attaches to it's the bones. Um, of the pelvis. And so when we talk about pelvic floor physio, we're talking about treating that entire area, basically from your abdomen to your knees as a primary area. Um, and then, and then all of the things that can be affecting that stuff, which ends up being essentially head to toe. So a good pelvic physio is going to specifically look at the pelvic floor muscles yeah. um, which are have three different layers and need a separate assessment there. And that's what we usually do internally. But then it's also, an external evaluation of everything that influences those pelvic floor muscles. And that's where the big thing, as we talk about more specifically endometriosis and interstitial cystitis, yeah. um, those, the inflammation and the pain that, that that those conditions generate can affect more than just the pelvic floor that can perpetuate your symptoms. Does that make a little bit of sense? That makes sense.
0: That does make
1: sense. So does
0: this mean that um, pelvic floor
1: dysfunction is the main symptom pain or are there other things? Great question. Um, That's actually a really good question. So I think most of us think about that as being the most prominent symptom, but basically it's any symptom that signifies that your pelvic floor is not working optimally. So- If you think about the functions of the pelvic floor, if you have a problem with any of those functions, and that includes urination, defecation, sexual intercourse or activity, and pelvic stability and spine stability, those are like the four major things. So if you have problems or issues with any one of those four areas... Then pelvic floor dysfunction or um, a non a suboptimal pelvic floor functioning is, is can be very likely. Mm-hmm. So we actually at um our at the last International Pelvic Pain Society meeting in um, Chicago in October we actually created a uh, pelvic floor dysfunction screening protocol where you can actually go through and we looked back and and did a bunch of nerdy statistics and everything, but. But bottom line is that if you go through, that's about a 10 question survey. And if you answer yes to three or more of those, of those questions, then pelvic floor dysfunction is 94% likely, um, for you. And that, and that doesn't mean that that's a hundred percent the cause of your symptoms, but what it means is that it warrants a, a trip to the pelvic physio to see, um, about the status of those muscles and how they're functioning in a bigger system. And some of those things include pelvic pain, but it also can be, um, uh, tailbone pain. It can be uh, low back pain. It can be um, urinary dysfunction. So either incontinence or urinary hesitancy, like you feel like you have to go so bad, then you get to the toilet and it's like nothing's coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Or an intermittent urine stream or constipation problems, pooping, you have to strain to have a bowel movement. I mean, all those things can be related to pelvic floor dysfunction um and so if you have three or more of those things on that sheet and i i think we can probably give you like um link to that and stuff to put in yeah, your. yeah i'd love to have that in the show notes as well yeah but um so i think that's a really good place to start um and then but but those questions are based on the functions of the pelvic floor which okay. is urination uh, bowel movements uh, stability for your pelvis and sexual activity. So you'll see all of the things on there. So that's another good way to, f- to figure out if you possibly have pelvic floor dysfunction
0: Okay. as
1: part of your symptoms. Okay, okay. that's great. Our listeners, most of them have
0: endometriosis. So okay. I would say, what would, um, how would we say endometriosis contributes to pelvic floor dysfunction?
1: Uh, ex- another excellent question. So, um, and I actually did an Instagram TV um, thing on this, Life. but we're going to, well, Life. and I did, I think I talked for about an hour on this, so we'll kind of wow. shorten it a little bit. Drink it. <laughs> yeah. But here's the big deal is that, and I forget, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but there's a study that actually looked at um, abdominal tender and trigger points in the abdominal area, um, pelvic floor, hypertonicity or tension in the pelvic floor um, and and people's pain with endometriosis. And I think it was something like 60, I feel like it was 64% had um, some sort of abdominal trigger point, And then a higher percentage, I think had some pelvic floor involvement, 75%, something like that of people with endometriosis. And so we talk about this kind of Dysfunction, inflammation, pain cycle that people with endo are are stuck in, right? And pain in and of itself, pelvic pain caused by endometriosis, can in and of itself create a um, a reflexive um, kind of like a protective mechanism of your pelvic floor. Because your body doesn't really get what's happening, right? Because it's not an acute pain problem. It's a chronic pain problem. So it's different than touching your hot stove or burning yourself or cutting yourself. Mm -hmm. It is, it's more of like a, your body kind of doesn't understand like, why is there a consistent painful signal coming from this area of the body? We need to protect that area. And then the pelvic floor muscles, um, will tension up and then stay tensioned. And then that in and of itself can create pelvic pain. So now if you have had endometriosis at all or for a long time, then your brain can't decide, is it the actual endometriosis? Is it in adhesions? Is it um, the actual pelvic floor muscles themselves? All it knows is that there's pain down there. And so that's one of the things that I feel like a pelvic physio can be really valuable in is helping to tease out what percentage of your symptoms and your pelvic pain is coming from certain areas. So I've had people where it's like, actually the symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction are, are like 100% of what they're feeling even though they have stage three endo or something. Because remember, there's also studies, and I'm sure your listeners know this too, but that endometriosis and pain isn't correlated. So you can have very significant endo
0: um,
1: with no pain and you can have very um, stage one endo with with a ton of pain. Yeah. So what the 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 key there is is like if it's not correlated, then there must be something else that is also contributing to pain in that region. And so then we look at the muscles, the nerves, the fascia, um, of the entire pelvic girdle. And that's where your OBGYN, as skilled of an excision surgeon that he or she might be, is not going to be able to assess that in a thorough way. Um, At best, they're going to tell you that that's a problem. And then that's our job as physios to learn how to fix that and help you help yourself to fix that. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit long winded, but I hope that that kind of makes sense with, um, with the 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 chronicity of the pain yeah. and how that affects how your brain perceives that pain, yes. and that is not to say that the pain's in your head, yes. but it does get transmitted differently once you're in that once you have pain for a long period of time. Okay, okay, that's amazing. So um, one of the things I was also going to ask was um,
0: about inter um, intersti- interstitial cystitis. <laughs> cystitis <laughs> I know I'm struggling with that. So interstitial cystitis. Um, I know you said on your Instagram that it's like the evil twin of endometriosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) uh, I think I want to know more about it. I think I want to know, is it, does it cause dysfunction or does
1: dysfunction cause interstitial cystitis? So what's the correlation? Correlation. Yeah. Um, So there's actually quite a limited amount of actual studies on this, but I guess from, um, from you guys, from hearing everybody's stories, and anecdotally, we know that there, it's very common to have both. Um, and so, so the actual statistics right now show that if you've been diagnosed with interstitial cystitis, 40% of those people have endo. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's a lot. And so, and, but here's the studies have not been clear on yet. The only study um, that was really done was done poorly. Um, okay. If you have how many people with endo have interstitial cystitis. And so that is still, we don't really know the, the flip side of that yet. Okay. But, but the bottom line, though, is that you can have endometriosis and not necessarily have, quote, unquote, interstitial cystitis, but you can have pelvic floor dysfunction from endo that creates bladder symptoms, right? Urgency, frequency of urination, painful urination, that kind of stuff. So, But then if you actually – this is where it gets really confusing. So we feel like we're in this, like, riddle because if you look at the definition of IC – Interstitial cystitis is simply defined as pelvic pain and urinary symptoms that have been lasting for six months in the absence of any other identifiable cause. Yeah. So you can essentially be diagnosed with IC if you have been diagnosed with endo first and you also have bladder symptoms. Yeah. So some doctors, you will be diagnosed with with endo, be going along that treatment path. Develop bladder symptoms, go to a different urologist and be like, Well, you have IC. Well, now it's like, Well, do you have two conditions? Do you have one condition? Yeah. Were you misdiagnosed with endo and you actually have IC? And you can drive yourselves freaking nuts yeah. by trying to figure out which one you have and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. When and this is where I feel like pelvic physios need to get inserted into the mix here. Yep. Because at the core of a lot of these things is the pelvic floor, right? And so um, that no matter what medical path you go down and what your actual diagnosis is of pelvic pain, the pelvic floor is usually involved. And we have evidence to believe that or to show that if you have IC or bladder pain, um, then you have a 90% chance to have pelvic floor dysfunction. And people with endometriosis have in that 70% range of, so it's like the pelvic floor just needs to be on your list of things yes, to address and, and continue to, continue to, continue to address throughout your whole journey yeah. um, because it's not, pelvic physio isn't magic and it can't, it's not going to quote unquote fix you mm. um, magically. It's like, it's a process and we have to figure out why that's happening and and then help you to figure out what medical path you need to go down in the most efficient way. And I feel like a lot of pelvic physios can help with that decision-making process of what to tackle first. Should you have an excision surgery? Should you do an installation if you have bladder symptoms? You know, so yeah, that's where I feel like we can really help people to see what's coming from what yeah. and sort of get the underlying cause of a lot of the symptoms of both of those conditions? Okay.
0: I think for me, because I've got endo and I've also got bladder issues, I haven't been, I haven't been. So things like, um, you know, when I go to use, when I go to wee, I struggle because it's kind of like there's pressure. Okay. Um, So I don't know if it's I C because I haven't been diagnosed, but I know that there's um, endo on my bladder okay so, yes yeah, so at this point i feel like um the solution is just to go for physical um pelvic physiotherapy because yeah because I here's fe- the thing is that yeah go ahead yeah so i was going to say that i feel like either way it would be a good thing because if i have endo and i've got bladder issues and i feel like something is you know i've got pelvic pain all the time then it surely it wouldn't hurt to try and um fix
1: a potential pelvic floor dysfunction, wouldn't you think? Would, would you say that? Absolutely, and here's the thing so you have you had have been diagnosed with endo on your bladder, yeah. but yeah. is that really the cause of your bladder pressure? It very well could be, and it very well couldn't be. And so, the only way to f- sort of figure that out is to just go to physical therapy, see if it helps. And then, and then you kind of know from there, right? Versus, I mean, with the the lesser of that's that's like the more conservative route, right? Now, yeah. of course, you can go have a surgery and um, get an excision surgery and and actually get that excised off and, and all that stuff. But even then, right? At, at, even then, that's still like an insult to that area. There's there's scar tissue that can be built up after that. Yeah. Um, that a pelvic physio can actually help with as well. So whether you end up having the surgery or not, Mm -hmm. um, or multiple surgeries or whatever, like I, I, just, and I know I have a biased opinion, but, but, um, pelvic physios are really like so helpful throughout the entire process, helping you recover from the surgery, um, just helping you discern which symptoms are coming from what, you know, I think so quickly, um, We want so badly, and for you guys, for sure, since you guys have been going through things for quite a long time, it's with the MRI findings uh, or of a fibroid or uh, the you know oh I've ended up on my bladder like great we and even from like a low back pain perspective right if you find that you have a, a bulging disc it's like oh awesome we found the reason but that's not necessarily the pain generator. And I think that's the biggest thing that I want everybody to sort of know is that the the medical organ-based reason why you could be having something might not be the pain generator. It might not be the thing that's creating the pain. Yeah. So, And if you're not addressing the pelvic floor component, then you can be missing like a big area of potential pain generators that can calm down your whole nervous system and help you sort of move on. Um, into better treatment options that will be more effective.
0: Okay. Okay. So going on from that, um, so I guess going to a um, pelvic health um, specialist would be my next step, right? If um, that's what you would suggest I do next. Um, So I would say my next question would be what kinds of um, maybe lifestyle changes or exercises. So I know the pelvic, um, therapist would help me through the process of from the beginning to the end of um, improving my pelvic floor function but Mm -hmm. if I'm at home for example and I'm trying to carry on doing that what would you say what kinds of exercises or lifestyle changes diet whatever it is would you suggest that um, you know I begin to do to help myself
1: yeah. So that's an excellent question. And it's a it's a long list of things, but not meant to be overwhelming, right? And so okay. this is where I feel like too, is that yes, if we could be perfect on diet and exercise and sleep and stress and all right. of these things, like, wouldn't that be wonderful, you know? <laughs> um, but I do feel like there are certain things that for some people might be more important to start with. So for instance, let's just give an example where uh, let's say you have endo and then you also have a lot of gut upset, GI, bloating, that kind of stuff. Then for that person, then we need to look into that as sort of a pain generator as it relates to their endo. So for that person, I might focus more at the beginning on what are actually the food sensitivities that you have, um, diet. Um, so, I mean, the most broad thing is, is doing like an anti-inflammatory diet. That's probably dairy free. Cause that's an inflammatory, inflammatory, um, thing, but that's not right for everybody. Um, but it's, but if you definitely have symptoms of like, let's say IBS also, then that might be a good place to start. Um, if somebody comes to me with endo and pelvic pain, um, and they are in a super high stress situation or that kind of thing, for, for that person, we might focus more on mindfulness meditation, um, diaphragmatic breathing, making sure that your breathing can calm your nervous system, making sure you have strategies to do that. So stress is a, is a big um, factor in pelvic pain and your guys' lives are stressful because you're in pelvic pain so um you know so there's things like that so in my opinion i think it's important to sort of do what i call like an honest self assessment and write down all the things where you could make changes and then sort of prioritize those so it doesn't seem like such a daunting task to fix everything all at once cuz that's where i feel like a lot of people make a bunch of mistakes um, right. Where you try to fix too many things at one time and then you just throw your hands up well yeah too hard, yeah, so but it's helpful to sort of see like um is can we maybe kill two or three birds with one stone? Yoga is actually an excellent example of that, right, because yeah. it's breathing it's nervous system calming it's stretching, especially if you do some of the restorative or yin yoga um pelvic pain type yoga stuff. So that that's usually my go-to first is to find like a 15, 20 minute yoga flow that's pretty restorative, that incorporates breathing, that incorporates stretching. Um, The the stretches that I have in the interstitial cystitis solution are actually pretty appropriate for anybody with pelvic pain or endometriosis. So that includes like a pelvic floor relaxation stretch. So like happy baby yoga pose and a squat stretch, if you have the hip mobility to do that, mm-hmm. um, those can be really calming and helping for pelvic pain. Um, doing self massage over the abdomen, we can show uh, pelvic physio can show you how to do that to help release those abdominal trigger and tender points. Um, so I know that was kind of a broad answer to a specific question, but I think there's a, a good blend of Nervous system calming, right? However that is, mindfulness, meditation, breathing, along with the musculoskeletal part, which is the stretching, the pelvic physio, um, and then the home program with that, which is where if we have a wand or something that we can help you self-treat at home. And And then the other category, which is diet, exercise to your tolerance that doesn't increase pain, sleep hygiene, we call it, right? Where you're doing all of the things that you can do, getting off social media two hours before you go to bed, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, those are like the other little things that, I mean, I feel like kind of we all should be doing no matter yeah. what. Um, but it's that much more important for you guys that are in these sort of pain spirals yeah. um, to make sure that, that. and I tell my patients, you got to control what you can control. So If you can't control some, maybe a flare right now, then you've got to at least control the breathing and the not getting nutso on the forums and stuff that are, are, are having a problem, you know? So, so, or just being honest with yourself about does that affect you? Because I might be able with some, if, if I have endometriosis, I might be able to go on some of those forums and let it roll right off my back. Other people might internalize that and have anxiety over the things that they see on there. So I think it's all about just help having an honest self-assessment with yourself. What are you doing well? What do you need some help with? And then guiding you in that direction either way. Amazing!
0: Thank you so much. I feel like I've learned so much. Oh, good! I'm, <laughs> I'm glad, glad you have you about my pelvic health and my pelvic floor. And now I'm going to go out there and
1: start taking care of myself. <laughs> yeah. See, and then you can see how if that if that makes a difference. And then if it here's the other thing. I feel like if it doesn't, like you said before, it's not going to hurt, and it still gives you a lot of information. Yeah. If you Get, go to a pelvic physio and you go see them for their plan of care and it it you' the dysfunction quote unquote resolves, but you're still in the same exact amount of pain then you can go back to your physician and be like, well, I know it's not musculoskeletal, yeah. so now we need to look at other areas of yeah. maybe where the pain generation can be coming from but until then we can't say you know so that's where I feel like it's just a good thing to do um. Mm. right off the bat.
0: Yeah, true. And you said something as well about men having pelvic floor dysfunction as well. Yes. How? Yes.
1: <laughs> so, okay, because they have pelvic floors too. And so they it basically looks almost the exact same as our pelvic floors, just they have a different appendage, right? I mean, essentially their penis is where our clitoris is. Oh. So, but the muscular part looks exactly the same. So those same things that we have, instead of having vulvar pain, for instance, they would have testicular pain. Instead of having clitoral pain, they have penile pain. Instead of having, uh, well, they can still have painful sitting and tailbone and tender areas and all that stuff, right? But even that is just another example of, the pelvic floor can be the pain generator, whether they obviously don't have uterus, right. Right. But, or, or the, the possibility that to have endo, but they do have the possibility to have stress and strain on their pelvic floors and constipation and stress in their lives and all of that stuff. So we actually see at our clinic about uh, 25 to 30% of our patients are men. Amazing. Wow. Which is a lot. Yeah. And yeah, and they can have prostate issues um, later because that's their organ um, in there. They have, they can have bladder issues, so it can be it can be just as debilitating for men in certain ways as it can be for women. We just have a little bit more complex of some parts and hormones and stuff. But so yeah,
0: thank you so much. This has been really enlightening. So, um, would you tell us a bit about your book, The IC Solution? I think our listeners would love to
1: probably pick it up. I think I will be. <laughs> yeah. It up soon. So it's available on Amazon. Um, and it's called the interstitial cystitis solution. And even though it does focus some on, I see itself, right? What is I see, um, how is it diagnosed, what are the causes, all of that stuff. It also has a ton of really good information about the pelvic floor, the nerves of the pelvis, all the stuff that we're talking about with pelvic floor dysfunction, how to self-treat, stretching protocols. And then we have flare-busting plans in there, action plans, um, symptom logs, bowel and bladder diaries. So it's a really cool resource. Um, If, if you even suspect that you have something with going on with your bladder, um, it it would still be a good resource for you. It has a whole medication list that's some of it's IC specific, but some of it is not some of it's more pelvic pain related. Um, so we've had a lot of good, um, results from people like taking that book into their physician's office and helping to guide the conversation a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's great. It's uh, my husband and I wrote it together. I am the brains behind it, but he is the making sure you don't fall asleep reading it. Um, <laughs> so he helped me kind of, kind of get my thoughts all together and, and write it down in a way that that it was easily digestible. So it's written for patients, but any practitioner can also everything that we say in there is backed up by the most current research that we had at the time of writing it, which was, um, a year, a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. So, and nothing had been written about IC in a, in a, in a comprehensive way since Dr. Robert Moldwin wrote a book. Um, but that was in like the two thousands. So this, this came out in 2016 or 2017. So, um, it's kind of the most up to date research based research based thing on IC and it has a big twist on pelvic floor dysfunctions cause I'm a pelvic PT. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it can be a really great resource. Okay. And it's on Amazon, you said. Yeah, that's on Amazon. And I, I believe, I don't think there's any problem getting it in the UK. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. i also, is he also on your website? It is on our website. Okay. And then, um, it's also on a couple of other like vendors, like you can get it through the, um, Uh, I don't think you can get it through the ICA, but definitely the ICN Interstitial Cystitis Network has it on their website. Um, I think it's even, I think it's listed on the International Pelvic Pain Society website, but if you just search for it, you can like look around and I'll also put this in the show notes as well. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And the final
0: question will be a bit more about pelvic sanity. I think I want our listeners to be able to um, search for it and find it and maybe, you know,
1: come see you. Yeah. (laughs) this. so, Yes. So the cool thing about, so what we've, what's really been exciting for me as a practice owner is that we have a, a physical location in Orange County, California, which is a nice little destination spot. Um, cause we're about five to 10 minutes away from the beach. Um, but we have a whole out of town program. Um, so we've had people, I think we're up to 20 or 22 different U S states. And I think like, I forget how many countries, but we've seen people from all over. Um, and so there's, we have intensive programs. Um, we have remote consultation options where um, we could hop on a Skype or a call like that um, okay. to sort of help you sort of sort out like what you've been doing um, and then help you find resources in your area to sort of go with a treatment plan. Um, our website is full of really good information. So that's pelvicsanity.com. Uh, We have a pretty fun Instagram, which is at Pelvic Sanity. Um, And then I also have my own that I do, which is at Nicole Cozine DPT. Um, So yeah, we're kind of all over social media. Our goal is just to give positive, practical, evidence-based information on all things pelvic health and pelvic floor for men and women. Um, and so we we're constantly doing like Instagram lives with other folks and videos and stuff like that, just to kind of get the word out and help people understand, um, the connection between the pelvic floor and their their potential symptoms.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Nicole. This has been really good. This has been amazing. And I have learned so much and I'm hoping our listeners have learned a lot as well. And, um, do you have any final advice for us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for I us. Do,
1: actually. <laughs> so from a final advice perspective, I really want people to feel if you can, if you can feel less overwhelmed and try to feel more empowered by some of the information that you can find on online. If something, if you find something and it doesn't work for you, just discard it. It's okay. Like there's so many avenues of healing for each individual person that there is no one size fits all treatment approach. I mean, everybody is so individual, um, but there is a ton of hope that you can be symptom-free kind of no matter what your Condition is Um, and so we've helped so many people see that I think sometimes that gets lost in The bombardment of stuff on the internet and social media and stuff like that so I think that if you can find you know two or three areas where you really trust information um, and Stick with those things or a support group online. That's really positive um, Stick with those and then just have start to build your little medical team that's going to be your tribe, right, to go through with you this whole journey. And, and if you can find they're out there, they're out there. It might be sort of frustrating to sort of connect that team together, but they are out there. There's people like me all over and you just have to to um, be persistent and I just want to give a little ray of hope to anybody that's, that's dealing with these symptoms that it's possible and probable to significantly decrease your symptoms if not be symptom free so thank you what a fantastic
0: time with Nicole today so what have we learned about our pelvic health our pelvic floor is any muscle, tendon, ligament, bones, fascia that make up our pelvic girdle and provide support to our bladder, uterus and colon. While pain is one of the main symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction, there are four main functions of the pelvic floor and these are urination, defecation, sexual function and activity and pelvic and spinal stability. Any problem with any of these functions could mean pelvic floor dysfunction. A few studies show that there's a correlation between endometriosis and interstitial cystitis. You can have pelvic floor dysfunction as a result of endo, resulting in bladder and urinary symptoms, even if you haven't been diagnosed with IC. We need to address our pelvic floor in order to address the sources of our pain generator, and calm down our entire nervous system. Being diagnosed with endo or IC might not be the only reason for the pain. And if pelvic physical therapy doesn't work, there's no harm done. And at least you can go back to your doctor and continue to investigate. There are various ways to begin to address pelvic floor issues. Do a self-assessment and write a list of changes you need to make then do them one at a time so you don't get overwhelmed. If you have symptoms of IBS, gastrointestinal issues, then it would be good to eat anti-inflammatory foods. Mindfulness, meditation, and diaphragmatic breathing can also help to alleviate pain. Yoga, stretching, and self-massage can also be very good ways to help with pelvic pain and stress. I hope we have learned a lot from Nicole today. I know I have, and I will be practicing many of these lifestyle improvements. For more information on Nicole's practice, visit www.pelvicsanity.com. Also follow her on Instagram at Pelvic Sanity, and make sure to watch her IGTV Endo and Gut Health mini-series. Nicole's book, The Interstitial Cystitis Solution, is available on Amazon and the link is in the show notes. Until next time, I am Tenyala Ogunro and remember, you are not defined by Endo.